Bibles to 1 John, if you would. The name of the message is Antichrists. Antichrists. 1 John, chapter 2. We'll read verses 15 to 20. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And next we see a warning concerning Antichrist. And these next three verses will be our text tonight. I think we're only going to get through verse 1. I had planned on getting through all three, but I think we're just going to be getting through verse 18. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye, and remember who John's writing to, he's writing to born-again, blood-washed believers, but ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at verses 15 to 17 in this chapter, and we saw that the believer in Christ is instructed to not love the world or the things of the world. And if one loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in them. And we saw how John, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, brought forth all the things of this world by identifying them under three different headings before us in a text. First was the lust of the flesh, or the body, uh, which covers all carnal, sensual desires, unchaste thoughts, luxurious and wasteful living, and indulgence of our fleshy appetites toward materialism and self-satisfaction. And then he brought forth the lust of the eyes, which is seeking after unlawful or unspiritual objects, covetous after gold, silver, land, and the possession of visible things. And then he brought forth the pride of life, which covers ambition, honor, uh, worldly fame, the, the chief places in the world, the chief places in the world, uh, uh, which is what we looked at last week, we, or two weeks ago, we saw that that's what the Pharisees are after. They're after the recognition of people. They're after recognition of people. And it also covers those that seek to seek the honor and praise of men. Well, we know God's preachers. We, we preach and proclaim the gospel not for the honor of men and the praise of men, but for the glory of God, for the glory of God. And so those things which, Paul, which John brings forth here uh, are not of the Father, but of the world. And we know, we know, in verse 17, look at verse 17, we also looked at how all the things of the world will perish one day. Everything we look at is temporary. Everything we look at is temporary. Look at verse 17. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, think of this. The things of this world are going to perish. But God's eternal. God's eternal. 
He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the scriptures declare. They declare that. This world will pass away and everything in it. But our God will still be God. He'll still be on the throne just like he is right now. Just like he was when he spoke this whole world and all the stars and everything into existence. He's on the throne then. And he'll never abdicate his throne, beloved. And that's our Savior. Our Savior is God incarnate in the flesh. The Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we read the scriptures or hear a message preached, we should be interested in four things as believers in Christ. Four things that we should be interested in. Number one, who's speaking? Who's speaking in the text? Who's speaking in the text? Who's speaking to us? Is it Christ speaking to us? Or is it John? Or is it Peter? Or is it one of the apostles? Or, or is it a prophet in the Old Testament? Who's speaking? That's the first thing we should be interested in. The second thing we should be interested in is is to whom are they speaking? To whom are they speaking? Are they speaking to believers? Who are they speaking to? Then, the third thing we should be interested in is what's the subject the speaker is speaking on to those he's speaking to? What's the subject the speaker is speaking on to those they are speaking to? And then the fourth thing is how does that apply to me? How does that apply to me as a believer in Christ? How does it apply to me? That subject which the speaker is speaking on. Those are four things that we should that we should be interested in as believers in Christ when the when either we're reading the scripture or hearing it or hearing the gospel preached. Those are four things for us to take note of. Now we know the author of all the scriptures is the Holy Spirit of God. We know that. He's the author of all the scriptures. So with that in mind, let's read our text again in verses eighteen to twenty. Little children, it is the last time, as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. Now we see the words here before us, we see in verse 18, the word Antichrist and Antichrist. This epistle and the second epistle of John are the only place where this Greek word is found. It's the only place where this Greek word is found. And do you know that the same Greek word for Antichrist is used for Antichrist. It's the same word. It's the same word. We, you, we'd, we'd think it was a different word, wouldn't we? But it's the same Greek word. The same Greek word. The definition of this word in Greek and Strong's is an opponent of the Messiah. An opponent of the Messiah. In Thyers, it's the adversary of the Messiah. The opponent and adversary of the Messiah is what this Greek word means. It literally means an opposer of Christ. An opposer of Christ, or one who usurps the place of Christ. And this Greek word is only found in this epistle, and in, only in John's epistles, in this epistle and the second epistle. 
and they collectively mean those who deny that Jesus is the Messiah, and they oppose him. And we'll see that. We'll look, at, we'll look later on in what Second John says. Actually, just in a, in, a, in a little bit, we'll look there. John brings this forth. That those who deny that the Messiah is come in the flesh, and we know who the Messiah is, the Messiah is the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who deny that the Lord Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, they are opponents and adversaries of the Messiah. Now both the error of the Gnostics and that of the Judaizers were prevalent when John was writing this epistle. And both those errors are serious departures from the central truth of the gospel. And the central truth of the gospel, beloved, is Christ is all. Christ is all. Every false gospel adds man's work and man's merit to salvation. Every single one of them. Um, the message of, of false religion is what do you do to be saved? The message of grace is look to Christ and be you saved. Look to Christ and be you saved. He did it all. He did it all. So the message of false religion takes away or adds something from the finished work of Christ, takes away or adds something to the finished work of Christ. And if it does that, it's Antichrist, beloved. Because think of it, it's against Christ. It's against Christ. It's Antichrist. It misses the gospel of God's grace entirely. Entirely. The doctrine of Christ is a pure and simple message. And it gives no basis of hope. No basis of hope except in Christ. Except in Christ. The only hope the believer has is in Christ, in him. And he is the blessed hope of all the elect children of God. He's the blessed hope. And this is what Paul summed up in the book of Colossians. He writes this. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. The hope of glory. Our hope is centered. We who are the born-again, blood-washed saints of God... Our hope is absolutely centered in Christ and Christ alone. And the believer says, I only have one hope, and that's Christ. The world don't say that at all, but the believer says that. One hope. I got one hope, and that's Christ and Christ alone. Paul goes on to write in, in Colossians chapter 3, he says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So the central theme of the gospel is Christ is all. He did it all. Salvation's of the Lord. And so therefore the believer's only hope is Christ. 
we look again, what Brother Scott Richardson said, we look outside of ourselves and we look to Christ. We look to him. So we know then from our text that John is writing to born-again, blood-washed believers. We know that. We know who he's writing to from our studies. This is very clear from chapter 1 and from the beginning of chapter 2 all the way up to this point. We know who he's writing to. He's writing to God's people. And the main subject he's been writing on is Christ. Which is Christ, which is which is what all gospel preachers do. We preach and proclaim Christ and Christ alone. He's been speaking on the fellowship that the believer has with the Father, and that all comes in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter one he spoke on this. He also has been speaking on the contrast between a true believer and a false believer, all through chapter 1 and and also in parts of chapter 2. And he's been speaking about how the believer in Christ has an advocate. Has an advocate. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only advocate we have. We have a propitiation for our sins. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the righteous one. Now tonight he's going to bring forth some facts about those who depart from the faith. And how do they do that? By adding to the finished work of Christ. And this is true of of all false religions. They make a profession. Oh, they say, I'm a Christian, yeah! And then they add their works. They're not a Christian, they're a false professor. They're a false professor. Look again. Let's read that text again. Little children. It is the last time as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that this is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One And you know all things. Now over the years since our Lord walked this earth, there have been many divisions over doctrine by those who would call themselves the followers of Christ. Some are so blatant and easily identified as error, where others are more subtle. Therefore, we who are the people of God, we're to be Bereans. We're to be Bereans, beloved. We're to search the Scriptures to see if it's so. To see if it's so. Some of these errors through the years have arisen through ignorance and dullness of hearing, and some have arisen through the work of deceivers, false teachers, who have crept in unawares, the Scripture says, with a desire to draw away disciples after them. They want to follow Him, beloved. They want to follow Him. They desire a follower. They desire notoriety, even though they, they'd say they wouldn't, they do. And these men sow seeds of division and discord among the brethren. And they're rightly termed heretics in the scriptures. Always remember that, look at, look at verse 21, always remember that no lies of the truth. 1 John 2.21, no lies of the truth. Look at the words there in in verse 21. The Apostle John brings these forth after speaking on Antichrist. 
which were at one time among them. Look what he says. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth. No, the believer in Christ knows the truth. They know Christ is the only way. But because ye know it, and, and that no lie is of the truth. <laughs> God's people discern, have discernment to know that we've been shown by God the Holy Spirit what's truth and what's error. There was a time when I didn't know that. But now, oh my, it's wonderful the gospel of God's grace. It's absolutely wonderful. Now remember too that during the days when Paul uh, and John were writing against uh, uh, these, these epistles, they're writing against a very damnable teaching which arose early on in the church, which is known again as Gnosticism. We looked at that in our study in, in Colossians. Now there are various branches and, and deviations of philosophy that fall into this teaching. But all in all, it was another gospel. It's another gospel. And this teaching had crept into the churches. Had crept into the churches. And the most heinous error associated with Gnosticism was that they denied that the Lord Jesus Christ was actually a human being. They denied that he was human. They denied that he was a human being who walked upon this earth and who bled for his people. And they denied, they denied that he was God at all. And Gnosticism, beloved, was an outright assault on the very doctrine of Christ. Turn, if you would, to 2 John. 2 John. Remember I said that this, these wor- this word antichrist in the Greek is only used in these two books? Gnosticism, Gnosticism was an outright assault, beloved, on the very doctrine of Christ, without which there's no gospel. Look at the words of John over here in 2 John. We see him bring forth that to deny Christ was come in the flesh then is a deceiver and an antichrist. So these Gnostics, branches of, the, of Gnosticism, denied this. They also denied that there was no sin, which we, we saw John deal with that, right? If you say that you have not sinned, you're, you're a liar. You make God a liar. Look at this in 2 John verses 7 to 11. For many deceivers are entered into the world which confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and antichrist. Do you see how, how John immediately identifies that if one denies that Christ came in the flesh, and we know, we know Christ is God incarnate in the flesh. So if you're denying that he came in the flesh, you're denying his deity, you're denying who he is. Well, it's right there. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresses and abide not in the doctrine of Christ, well, what's that? Well, that's believing that, that salvation's all of, all of the Lord. All his work, beloved. All his work. The doctrine of Christ hath not God. And that includes his deity, his humanity, that redemption is only through him, that justification before God is only through him. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, look at this, he hath both the Father and the Son. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God for the believer. Eh? We, that, that make my heart leap. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, if, if, they, if they come to you and say, well, salvation's by a little thing you do called works. 
if they bring any other doctrine to you that adds anything to the work of Christ or takes away anything from the work of Christ, it's antichrist. It's a false gospel. It's, a, it's, it's so clear, isn't it? If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. We have absolutely nothing to do with false religion. Now, some who claimed to be Christians in the early church taught that the pre-incarnate Christ was just an angel and that this angel took many forms and and we've seen in our studies in the Scripture that Paul in the book of Hebrews brings forth the contrast of Christ with angels in the first chapter of the book of Hebrews and now we know why. Now we know why. And we can see why John brings this forth in this epistle. Turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter 1. He brings forth, now we see why John brought forth the humanity of Christ. Because there were some he wrote of in 2 John that we just looked at who denied that Christ came in the flesh. And he said, they're antichrists. Now, now, with that in mind, now let's read 1 John 1 verses 1 to 3. Look at this. Look, look, at how, look at how John masterfully, and we know it's all by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, brings forth the humanity and the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. That which was from the beginning, from eternity, beloved. The one we read of in Proverbs. From eternity. That which was from the beginning. Which we have heard. They, they heard him. Just like you and I hear each other. When we speak to one another, they heard him. They heard him which we have seen with our eyes. They looked upon him like we look upon each other, beloved. And our hands have handled the word of life. They, we give each other hugs. and I imagine they embraced each other too. My. Oh, my. Our hands have handled the word of life. He's God. He's the bread of life, beloved. For the life was manifest and we have seen it. Again, he brings forth, they've seen it. So they're eyewitnesses and bear witness and show unto you eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest unto us. When was he with the Father? In eternity. (laughs) He's God the Word, made flesh. That which we have seen and heard. So they're, they're eyewitnesses and earwitnesses, beloved. And then, We declare unto you, Christ, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And how's our fellowship? Only through Christ. We have fellowship one with another through Christ and Christ alone. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we can see how John is combating in 2 John what we looked at over there how he's combating the truth that he bought. He's, he's combating the, the, the Gnostics' error of denying that Christ was God in the flesh. And we see, we just saw right there at the first of this epistle, he's even battling it right there, isn't he? He's setting forth the humanity and the deity of Christ right before us. And the reason he's doing that is because there's error that's crept into the church. 
There was error that's crept in the church. And some of the Gnostics believed that the material world did not exist. And therefore, there was no such thing as sin. They even denied sin. They denied sin. I remember a long time ago, I was talking to a man who was deep into New Age thinking, teachings. And he told me, and he told me this, I couldn't believe it. He told me that there was no such thing as evil in this world. And I laughed out loud. I laughed out loud when he told me that. Vicky was right there with me. I laughed. I said, what are you talking about? Evil's all around us as a result of sin. But you see, if you deny sin, then it's easy for you to deny evil. Well, evil's the result of sin, isn't it? We're all sinners. We're all sinners. So the false teachers or followers of the Gnostics in their ways, and also the Judaizers, don't forget about the Judaizers, because in the early church, there was the Gnostics attacking from within, and there was the Judaizers also, that Paul was battling with in Galatia. And they tried to mix the truth of justification by faith. They tried to mix the truth of justification by faith alone, which is through Christ alone. They tried to mix that with the, the... Judaic system, which was built upon the principle of the law. Well, we know Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, don't we? And, and in doing this, in adding, in adding the works of the law to justification by faith alone, they actually de-emphasize the actual redemption which Christ wrought out for his people. And so then it became sinner save yourself. Well, we know how that ends. Oh my. That's awful. So the false teachers or followers of the Gnostic ways again tried to mix works with grace. The Gnostics said you had to obtain a certain knowledge and only they could give you that knowledge. Boy, there was, there was, do we see now why John said there's already Antichrist within the church? Oh my. Oh my. So again, the Judaizers and the Gnostics actually de-emphasized the actual redemption which Christ had wrought out for his people. And the Gnostics did this again by saying, Oh, there's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as sin. Or trying to excuse sin as if it did not exist. Or that it was even desirable. And remember what John brought forth in light of this in chapter 1. Let's go back to chapter 1 again. Look at, let's read verses 5 to 10. And, and now we can read this in light of knowing what was occurring and what the false teachers were teaching. Look at this. And remember, Gnostics both denied the incarnation of Christ, that the fact that he was really a man, and they denied that sin was even around. Now, let's read these verses in light of that. 
This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and that's the Father, and walk in darkness, what? We lie and do not the truth. He goes on. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. I love this. In the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. I love that little word, all. Isn't that wondrous? What a wondrous word. All. Cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, which the Gnostics were doing, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The truth is in them. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, again, which they did, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Do you see how, see how, see how clear it is? What John's writing, and remember, John's writing this by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And remember, the Judaizers, again, tried to, tried to mix the truth of justification by faith alone in Christ alone with, with fallen Jewish laws and commands. And they said you were only justified, according to them, by believing on Christ and following the Jewish laws. Oh, my goodness. What bondage. No wonder, no wonder Paul, Paul, Paul wrote to rejoice in the freedom we have in Christ, beloved. To stand fast in the liberty that we have in Christ. No wonder Paul wrote that. And he wrote that to the Galatians who were battling with the, the error of the Judaizers. And all the Judaizers were doing were, promo were promoting justification by, by man's works. But we who are the people of God, we who are born again believers, know how wrong this error is. We've been taught by the Holy Spirit of God that justification with God is only in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. No other way. And by his works alone. And to put simply, the error of Gnosticism was that man thought they could reason out the truth or know the truth by an operation of their own minds. They figured, well, we can figure out who God is by our own knowledge. Well, the Lord tells us his ways are not our, our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And we know that men grope around in the darkness of our natural state. This is exactly what Paul was referring to when he said, for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, knowledge. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, a stone block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. There's nothing new under the sun, beloved. There's nothing new under the sun. These two errors are still prevalent even today. They've just been repackaged. They've just been repackaged. They've been redistributed as how? Works-based religion. Works-based religion. Oh, if you walk that aisle and pray that prayer, you're saved just like that. That's called decisional regeneration. That's not Holy Spirit regeneration. God can save you in your seat without you moving a muscle. Because it's a hard work. 
It's an operation of the Holy Spirit of God. So these two areas, they've just been repackaged and redistributed as workspace religion. And all it is, all it is, is man trying to establish his own righteousness before God. That's all it is. Trying to make themselves fit before God by their own works. And well, we know, we know how the Lord looks at that. He looks at his filthy rags. And the Lord, the, our God, beloved, will accept absolutely no one outside of Christ. Our God will accept no one outside of Christ. But all who are in Christ are safe, beloved. Safe in the refuge of our souls. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The believer, remember, is clothed in the perfect spotless righteousness of Christ and God looks upon us and sees Christ. Doesn't that make your heart rejoice, you who are the beloved of God, knowing how much sinners we are, even after we're saved. Oh my, it makes my heart just sore, beloved. My. Paul wrote this to the Galatians, the very ones who the Judaizers were trying to con- convince that salvation was through Christ and their works and, and following the law. Listen to what Paul wrote to them. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. That's very clear, isn't it? I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If righteousness comes by your works or mine, then Christ is dead in vain. Praise God, Christ isn't dead in vain. He died for his people as our substitute on Calvary's cross. Oh, what a hope we have. And then Paul wrote this also to the, to the same Galatians. He said this, Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect in the flesh? So he says, are, you're, you're born again by the Holy Spirit of God, and, and, and these Judaizers are coming in and saying, saying that uh, you, in order for you to be saved, you have to, you have to follow the law of, of Moses. Well, that's man's works, isn't it? And so Paul writes them in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? Oh, every believer says, No. In my flesh profiteth nothing. This same error exists today. Do you know that? It's called conditionalism. It's called conditionalism. And those who embrace this error believe that men have the power to either gain or lose God's blessings by their behavior. And they believe, as Job's miserable comforters did, that the blessings of God are are on those who obey, while those who do not suffer. This is nothing but legalism wrapped up and repackaged in a a whole new man, beloved. Now God's people obey the word of God because we desire to. Because the Holy Spirit convicts us when we don't. But I'll tell you what. The blessings of Christ to the believer are all based upon Christ and what he did for us. As Brother Bruce Crabtree said one time, we can't mess up our salvation. That's wonderful. That doesn't give us a 
a rule to go crazy. That's not what that's talking about. But remember, all who were in that ark were safe, weren't they? And all outside perished. Christ is the ark of safety for his people. Let's read our text again, verses 18 to 20. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that any Christ shall come, even now there are many antichrists, again, same Greek word for both words there, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, that's, that's our great God, and ye know all things. All things. Note John brings forth in the latter part of verse 18 that this is the last time. Beloved, we've been living in the last days since our Lord's ascension. <laughs> since our Lord's ascension. The design in what the Apostle is saying here is this, that all things are accomplished. All things are accomplished. There's nothing that is prophesied, typified, or, or promised concerning redemption that is not fulfilled in Christ. That's not fulfilled in Christ. Nothing remains except the coming of Christ to gather his own, to gather his sheep. Therefore, this is indeed the last dispensation. And if the eternity of God's kingdom is kept in mind, both prior to Calvary and afterwards, then the time between Christ's death and Christ's return will will only appear as a moment to our great God. The scriptures declare, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that is of this one thing that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. Remember, our God dwells in eternity. He dwells outside of time and space, beloved. We're constrained by time and space. He's not. He's not. And tonight we've looked at how John told those he was writing to that Antichrist shall come. And it says there in 18 that Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Well, we saw over in 2 John that those who deny that Jesus has come in the flesh is Antichrist. Anything that opposes Christ, remember? Anything that opposes Christ is Antichrist. And those who suppose that, that this would be only one man are mistaken. For John says, even now there are many antichrists. Someday this evil defection will prevail through the whole visible church. Let's turn to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Someday this evil defection will prevail through the whole visible church. But our God has a remnant. He always will have a remnant. He always has a people. Look at this in 2 Thessalonians. We'll read verses 1 and 2 first. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. All of God's people look to the coming of Christ. And we look with great hope and anticipation, don't we? We do. And the resurrection of the dead, when he comes back, the resurrection of the dead, and, and, and that'll, if, if we're still alive, that'll be the day we see the Lord. 
We're either going to see the Lord at our death or we're going to see the Lord, if we're still alive, at his second coming. And no one knows when this is. After you hear someone say they know the day, you can count, you can be sure that it ain't that day. <laughs> Not at all. And we'll see the Lord, though. If we're alive, it is coming, we'll see the Lord. That great time of gathering together of the Lord's people. And it, it gives us great comfort and, and hope just to think about it, doesn't it? And we look for his return. Look at verses 3 and 4. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who, who opposes and exalted himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Note in verse 3, there's a warning. Let no man deceive you by any means. Paul is writing again here in, in 2 Thessalonians. Paul is writing to God's born-again, blood-washed people. That's who he's writing to. Remember remember one of the four things we should always consider? Who's he writing to? Well, he's writing to the church. He's writing to God's people in Thessalonica. And he says to them, don't be deceived. And remember, this was written 1,900 years ago. <laughs> right? Or... Do, in the very earliest days of the church. And always remember that only God knows the coming of Christ. Knows exactly when that will be. No man knows it at all. No matter what they try to say. No man knows but God. Paul then continues in verse 4. For that day shall not come except there... Or let's read the latter part of verse 3 with, with verse 4. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away... And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalted himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now Paul brings forth here that there must come a, a falling away, an apostasy. An apostasy. A falling away from the truth of the gospel. A falling away from the grace of God in Christ. A, fall away, a falling away from salvation by grace alone through Christ alone, of those who profess to know God and those who profess to be saved. And as the man, the man of sin, the son of perdition, must be revealed, the one who exalts himself above God, dwelling in the house of God, claiming to be God. Now many in our day believe that this man of sin or antichrist to be an individual, a single person. But you know both John Calvin and John Gill say it's not an, an individual but a succession of religious leaders. They call it the spirit of Antichrist. Interesting when you consider what we've been reading tonight. Eh? The spirit of Antichrist. Gill and Calvin teach that this apostasy has occurred and that the spirit of Antichrist certainly has possessed religion as a whole. And, and what it is well is when the, what, what it is is when the will of, of man is exalted above God in the churches. Interesting. When the will of man is exalted above God in the churches and salvation has been reduced to works and deeds. 
My, oh, my. God's sovereignty and reign over all these things have been denied. And that's what the spirit of Antichrist does. It denies the finished work of Christ. It denies the sovereignty of God. It denies justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And I, I'll be honest with you, I agree with what John Gill and, and, and uh, John Calvin say. I think it's the Spirit. Note in verses 5 to 8, these things seem to be being brought forth, the teaching, the, these things seem to be brought forth from the teachings of Calvin and Gill. Look what he says in verses 5 to 8. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Remember what John said. He says, Antichrists are already among us. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Paul brings forth that the only thing restraining the spirit of Antichrist from taking over completely is God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. And when God's appointed day comes, the spirit of Antichrist will dominate. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll bring it all to an end. But remember, the Lord always has a remnant, beloved. He always has a remnant. And then now let's read verses 9 to 12. Even him whose coming is after the work of the Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the, the love of the truth that they might be saved. They didn't receive that salvation was by grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone. They didn't receive that. They didn't receive that. I didn't receive it before the Lord saved me. But now I receive it. As one of God's born again people. Oh, and I, 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 not only do I receive it, I embrace it. Do you? It's wondrous, isn't it? It's absolutely wondrous. Absolutely wondrous. They receive, but look at that. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, and then that perish because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Oh, what a verse there. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Those are pretty chilling verses. This antichrist spirit, which is false religion, which exalts the righteousness of man, is in direct opposition, beloved, to the righteousness of Christ. It is in direct opposition to the righteousness of Christ. And the spirit of Antichrist is motivated and masterminded by Satan. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. How do we know that? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at this, verses 13 to 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, 
peddling lies, beloved. Telling you you're saved by what you do. Instead of pointing you to Christ. And they don't tell you those things because they don't know Christ. They don't know Christ. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. (laughs) So we see there that Satan's false teachers transform themselves into the apostle of Christ. And then it says, in no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. The refuge of lies they are peddling will lead to their destruction. And unfortunately, lead to the destructions of all those who fall them too. This is why it's vital to preach and proclaim Christ from the pulpit. Whenever we get the chance, preach and proclaim Christ and Christ alone is the only hope for sinners. Salvation is only in and through Him. So they're attended by great power and success. And some of them are attended by pretended miracles and marvels, lying wonders. And those who who follow these false teachers, they also promote them. They also promote them. And why do they do that? Because they're deceived. They're deceived. They have not heard or read the truth of Christ. They do not know Christ. They are not born again, no matter what they profess. And they will not receive the truth. When you tell them that salvation is by grace alone, through Christ alone, and that we are only justified by God through Christ, they will not receive it. I know, I was there. They will not receive it. But when the believer is born again, regenerated, Hawker says that's one thing that Satan can't counterfeit, (laughs) is regeneration. Being born again by the Holy Spirit of God. When we're born again by the Holy Spirit of God, we rejoice these truths, don't we? We we embrace the truths. We rejoice in them. But the Scripture says here that those who are the followers of these false teachers, God has sent them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And they will not love the truth, and they will not receive it. I have experienced this time and time and time again in witnessing to people about the grace of God in Christ alone. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen people who profess to love, love Christ, that's what they say, and when you mention election, when you mention justification by, by faith alone, when you mention that I'm just a sinner saved by grace, they absolutely recoil. And I'll tell you what, the knives come out. Some of them, the knives come out. I've they just get so angry with you. Oh my. And they do not receive the truth, and you know what they do? They hold even tighter to the lie that they believe. They hold even tighter to that. And there's none so blind as these who will not see. They boast of their own righteousness, but one day they reap the fruit of their own righteousness. Which will be their damnation. In Apostles' day, just as we see now, the spirit of Antichrist was at work. 
The gospel of God's grace proclaims Christ alone as the high priest of his people. It proclaims a finished work of salvation in and through Christ alone. And yet we see the spirit of Antichrist at work even in our day today. Whether our multiplication of rights and works which man must do to be saved. Or they say it's so-called church authority. They get on all that, too. In order to be a true church, you have to be sent out by one who has the proper authority. I used to be tied up in a group like that. It's absolutely horrible. And there is a rampant teaching, beloved, nowadays of salvation by the merits of man. And this is absolutely nothing but a refuge of lies. It's a refuge of lies. And it will lead to the damnation of all those souls who believe that lie. It will. Men may try to deny and explain away the incarnation of Christ and his perfect atoning work, but we who are the blood-bought people of God We who are the blood-bought people of God, we who are born again by the Holy Spirit of God, by His divine power, we will gather together, beloved. We're gathered together. And the gospel of God's grace will be preached and proclaimed that salvation is through Christ and Him alone, by His substitutionary work in His life and in His death. And we will rejoice as long as that message is being proclaimed. We will rejoice. And we will continue to trumpet that salvation is of the Lord by his merits and by his work. And the fact that the believer in Christ has all their sins forgiven, all of them, by the shedding of the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross in the room and place of his people. That'll continue as the Lord wills to be proclaimed. And we pray that God the Holy Spirit will make the preaching of his word effectual. That it will save his lost sheep. That through the regenerating power of God, the Holy Spirit, that they will be granted faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We also pray that the, the word of God goes forth and edifies and builds up God's people so that we look to the one who is our hope. The one who is our hope. We look away from ourselves. To God be all the glory, beloved. To God be all the glory. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to look into thy word tonight. Oh Lord, while we're in the midst of this world, we see false religion all around us. Man trying to gain merit and favor with God by what they do, and it it comes in a thousand different faces, oh Lord. And we know from the scriptures that this is nothing but the spirit of Antichrist. Oh, Lord, we thank thee, we who are your people, we who have had you revealed to us. We thank thee because we know that if you had not revealed yourself to us, we'd still be in the place we were, dead in trespasses and sins and without, without hope. But oh, what a hope we have, we who are your people. Oh, what a hope we have. Salvation all by thee and thee alone, O oh Lord. And all by thy grace and thy mercy. Let us, who are your people, Let we who are born again by thy spirit leave here tonight rejoicing over this wondrous salvation that we have in thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother John's going to close us in song.